Good morning, everyone. How are you? My name's Pastor Rick. Welcome to the Packing House. This like, wow, what happened to the weather? Thanks. Nice and cool. Well, stand on up and we'll get started. Welcome, welcome. Out of Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing salvation through Jesus Christ, our hope secured, our future in you. Thank you, Lord, for grace. Thank you for love. Lord, we wish to see Jesus clearer today, so fill this place with your Holy Spirit to draw us close to you. And ev every one of God's kids agreed by saying, amen, amen. Hey, believer, there is communion set up around the sanctuary for you at any time during the worship service. If you'd like to partake, please feel free. Go ahead and turn around and say hello to one another. Give someone a high five. God bless you guys.
Let's take a moment this morning and welcome our friend, Mr. Jimmy Robeson. Sunsets free is free indeed. This is your promise to me. I used to live in slavery, but Jesus liberated me. Thank you, God. Sunsets free is free indeed. We believe it. Who the sunsets free is free indeed. Hallelujah. Who the sunsets free is free indeed. So I am free. I am free. Washed in water, now I'm clean. By your blood, I am redeemed. Yes, I believe. I am free, I am free, I am loved eternally, God my Savior rescued me, yes I believe that I am free. That is the truth, we've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. I just want to share one more song with you guys this morning, and this song takes a, a dive into Revelation 19, we are joined with, with the heavenlies, and we're at the wedding feast of the Lamb, and the angels and the elders are singing, Amen, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. And this is prophetic. This is where we will be as believers at that wedding feast because we've been bought by the blood of the Lamb.
To lift up our voices, surround you in praise. So come every nation, tribe every tongue, to worship the Lamb who has overcome. We join with the angels and elders and saints. To lift up our voices, surround you in praise. So come every nation, tribe every tongue, to worship the Lamb. Thank you so much, Jimmy. That was awesome, huh? How, nice. 
Well, good morning, Packing House. Good to see you again. Good morning. All right, this is one of my favorite times of the service. Check out these video announcements. Ugh, I can't figure out this sprinkler system. Kaya, what are you doing? Why are you working on the sprinklers? Don't we have men to do that? Clearly not enough. Men, we need you to do our maintenance so that Kaya doesn't have to do it. Hey, you, come here. Go up to the third floor so you can see you can do the maintenance. Yes, yes, sir. <sighs> I can't wait. Where are we going? I'm taking you to the Mexico outreach. <gasps> We're going to Mexico? I can't wait to try the quesadillas. You mean the quesadillas? Yeah, yeah, the stuff with the cheese and the, um, oh, polo. All right, Huh? What was that? You mean like boil, as in chicken? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah like in El Pollo Chicken. Anyways, I cannot wait to hear El Pastor speak. Such an amazing person. Are you talking about like El Pastor, like the meat? Isn't that the stuff I put on my tacos? Yeah. Well, at least we're going to have tacos there in Mexico. Girl, I'm hungry. If you want to come to the Mexico Outreach, February 23rd to the 25th, come see the missions table. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Hey, junior high and high school students, you guys are dismissed to go to the lobby. If this is your first time here at the Packing House with us, they meet in the lobby. They're teachers. Then they go to the second floor. After the service, they'll come back and join us in the lobby. Okay, let's go into a time of prayer. And Daniel Sanchez, young Daniel Sanchez, would you come on up and uh, close us in prayer? Uh, bow your heads and close your eyes. Uh, thank you, Lord, for this day and many blessings. Thank you that we be here right now and uh, worship you. And I ask that you'd open our hearts up to your word and the message today, that we'd all take home something new and that we would apply it into our lives. Uh, help us to have a great rest of our day and a great week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you, Terry. Good morning, church. If you could stand, please, we'll read a little portion of the text we're going to look at this morning. In Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28, it says, When Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass that when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you where as when you enter, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, what are you doing? Why are you loosing it? You shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So we're gonna look at that passage. Let's pray and we'll get into it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would, 
build up your people, Lord, for your glory, which is always to our greater joy. We ask it in Jesus' name and everyone who agreed said together, amen. You may be seated, please. So when he had said this, last time we saw what it was, what the this was that he said. Remember, he corrected his disciples' expectation as to the timing of when his kingdom would be culminated on earth. Okay? They were thinking that this time that Jesus is going into Jerusalem, this is it. The kingdom of God is going to come right now. And we saw he told a parable. He told a parable that basically said, it's going to be a lot longer than you expect. It's going to be a lot longer. And we looked at that parable last time. And the Lord, we got into it, what the Bible says about what we should be doing in the meantime, between now and when the Lord does come. Remember that? God doesn't want us to be alarmed. He doesn't want preachers to sensationalize every war, every rumor of war, sounding the alarm. He doesn't want us sounding the alarm at every earthquake and every new virus, every pestilence that breaks out. Matthew 24, don't be alarmed at these things. But what he does want us doing, and we saw this last time, he wants us to be investing everything that he's entrusted to us all the way up to the moment he comes back. Don't get distracted. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get alarmed. Don't be sensational. Keep investing. Do business is another translation of what he said to the disciples. And so, after he said all of that, when he said those things, it says here in our text that he went on ahead. Okay, he's been in Jericho. Now he goes on ahead up to Jerusalem. Here's, an, here's kind of a, uh, a sample of the terrain that he would travel on from Jericho up to Jerusalem. He went on ahead. And this would be a 14-mile hike that would rise in elevation 3,300 feet from Jericho up to Jerusalem. So when it says, after he said this, he went on ahead to Jerusalem, this is the terrain that he traveled on up to Jerusalem. And it's in Jerusalem, this coming week that's before him, that the greatest and holiest drama of all human history will be played out as Jesus will go to the cross. He went on up ahead to Jerusalem, knowing full well what he would face there on our behalf in love for us. Despite the fact that at this point, Jesus is a wanted man. He's got a price on his head. He heads up to Jerusalem here now in the most public way possible. We'll see here. And it came to pass, verse 29, that when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, at the Mount of Olives. So he's coming up here from the lowest land elevation on planet Earth, which is interesting. Uh, Jericho in the Dead Sea area, it's the lowest place on Earth, on land. 
And Jesus now goes from this lowest place. He travels up 14 miles, ascending 3,300 feet along that terrain we just looked at. And he comes here to Bethphage, these two towns that are on the backside crest of the Mount of Olives. A little bit further, not quite yet, and the whole city of Jerusalem will come into view. But it came to pass as he was there near Bethphage and Bethany that when he drew near to these two towns at the Mount called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples. And he said, go into the village opposite you where as you enter, you're going to find a colt that's tied up on which nobody has ever sat I want you to loose it, and I want you to bring it here to me. Now, we know from other Gospels that this colt was not a colt of a horse, but it was a colt of a donkey, okay? In Matthew's Gospel, he tells us that Jesus is going to ride this donkey into Jerusalem in fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice. O daughter of Zion, this is a messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just, and he's bringing salvation. He's lowly, humble, riding on a donkey, on the colt of the foal of a donkey. This is one of the many prophecies. There's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that took place through centuries that pointed to the Messiah of Israel. Over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. Most of the prophecies of the Messiah, only God the Father could have orchestrated the fulfillment of those. Like you're gonna come from the lineage of a man named Abraham and it's going to be through his son Isaac and through Jacob, not, not any of the other sons. And then it got even more specific. It said, you're going to come from the tribe of Judah, which was one of Jacob's sons. Jacob had 12 sons. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. It's going to be through Judah. And then it got even more specific. As the prophet said, it was going to, you're going to, he's going to come from the lineage of David, who was of the house of Judah. He was, a, he was of the tribe of Judah. Okay, we also see that the prophet said exactly where the Messiah would be born. Where would he be born? Micah 5.2, he'd be born in Bethlehem. Okay, nobody can control the family. I I had no control over the family that I was born into and the fact that I was born in Pensacola, Florida. Those were out of my control. But this prophecy here, Zechariah, 9-9, that Messiah would enter into Jerusalem lowly on a donkey. This was one of the prophecies that Jesus purposely set up the fulfillment of. He set it up. He knew the scripture. And he, he set it up not only to fulfill this prophecy, but to send a message to everybody who knew the scriptures. And the message was this. Here we go, guys. The Messiah is here. He's coming to town to finish the business that he came to fulfill in his first coming. And so Jesus here instructs his disciples. He says, go into this village that's opposite you. You're going to find a donkey that's tied up 
I want you to untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks you, notice, <laughs> why are you loosing it? What are you, what are you untying my donkey for? You will say to him, because the Lord has need of it. You know, you're, you're reading this, and it's like, it can be easy for us in a whole different world, in a whole different culture than this time and this place, to assume that this kind of thing was common, that people just walked up and untied people's donkeys and rode off for a while, you know? That this was kind of like the culture of the area. No, no. This is absolutely unusual, okay? Donkeys serve two purposes. They don't, we don't use donkeys in these purposes anymore. Maybe some of you do. Maybe you've got donkeys that haul things or a mode of transportation. I haven't seen anyone riding around Redlands on a donkey lately. But if we translated this, I was thinking as I'm preparing this, how, did, how could we relate to what Jesus is calling his disciples to here Imagine Jesus is out in Palm Springs. It's pretty much the same climate as over there in the Middle East, down in the Jordan area, in Jordan, okay? And Jesus is approaching Redlands. He comes upon Cherry Valley, and he tells two of his disciples, I want you to go ahead of me to Yucaipa. You know the In-N-Out Burger right off the freeway? I want you to go to the parking lot there, and you're going to find a brand new Ford F-150. And I want you to hotwire it. And I want you to bring it back to me here in Cherry Valley because I'm going to hop in that thing and I'm going to ride the rest of the way into Redlands. Okay? This is what the disciples are thinking. They're thinking, we can't do this. <laughs> Just like you would be thinking. Lord, don't you know how packed? The, the, the parking lot is always packed at the in and out off the freeway in Yucaipa, and half the population of Yucaipa drives pickup trucks. They're all a bunch of good old boys with rifles and pickup trucks up there. And they're like, we're going to start hotwiring this thing. The dude's going to be looking at us. He's going he's to drop his burger and come running out, and he's going to say, what are you doing to my truck? And we're just going to say, well, the Lord needs it. You getting a feeling here for what Jesus is calling these guys to? This is what it is. This is what it is. And so those who were sent, it says these two, they went their way. They found the donkey, just like Jesus said. And as they were loosing the colt, one of the, the owner of the colt, this donkey, said, why are you doing this? And they said, well, the Lord needs them. Now, we're not told the reply, interestingly, of the owner of this donkey, but apparently he said, oh, the Lord needs him. Okay, then I give it for his use because look at the next verse. It says, and then they brought the colt to Jesus. It doesn't talk about some type of wrestling match or a fight that broke out. So the guy must have just said, oh, the Lord needs him. Okay, I give him for that use. You know, I was thinking about this how Jesus could have just done a miracle, you know, back in Cherry Valley. He could have caused the donkey just to walk out of the bushes, you know, and just sat on it. Why did he involve these two disciples in this thing that kind of was like awkward for them? And I realized, I remember, this is so like the Lord. He loves to involve people in the work of his kingdom. You know, to some he will say, go, 
and you'll find your provision. And to others, he'll say, give, like they found the donkey, right? To the others, he'll say, yeah, give the donkey so they can use it. God will say, go, and he'll say, give. He involves us in the work of his kingdom. And so it says, and then they brought this donkey to Jesus. And notice, they threw their own clothes upon the donkey. And they set Jesus upon him. This is the beginning of their expression of praise to him as the king. They get it. They get it. They've read Zechariah 9.9, and they realize, and they understand, and they're making this makeshift saddle. They're throwing their clothes on it like a saddle. They don't want Jesus just riding bareback here. And as he went, many spread their clothes also on the road. So they make a saddle on the donkey, and they're spread. They're taking their clothes and putting it on the road. We're also told in another gospel that they were taking what and putting it on the road? Palm branches which is where we get the whole thing of Palm Sunday that's coming up. It was a few days before the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, which is Easter. You got, good, you got Palm Sunday, you got Good Friday, and then boom, Easter, the resurrection. This is their way, throwing their clothes down on the road, the palm branches. This is their version of laying out the red carpet for royalty. Their worship of him has begun. And then, as he was now drawing near to the descent, okay, so Bethphage and Bethany are on the backside crest of the Mount of Olives. This is where he's getting this donkey in order, and the crowd is gathering. And now he's going over the crest, and this is where the city of Jerusalem would come into view. This glorious amazing view of this ancient city that God has chosen to bring his salvation to the rest of the world through Jerusalem. This is what Jerusalem would have looked like in Jesus' day. You know, today you see the pictures in the Alaska Mosque dominates the skyline of Jerusalem. That mosque was built 800 years after Jesus. This is what it would have looked like in the time of Jesus. This is since Solomon built the temple 3,000 years ago, 1,700 years before the Alaska Mosque, this was what Jerusalem looked like for centuries. And it says here, as they now come to the top of the Mount of Olives, they're approaching the descent down the Mount of Olives to this is the view that they would have, this glorious view. I love it when we go on our tours of Israel. Usually it's a two-week tour. I, I, I went many times from Budapest. It was only a three-hour flight, $300, no jet lag, you know. But all the tours, they take you everywhere else first. You go to the Mount Carmel, then you go up to Nazareth where Jesus grew up, and then on the Sea of Galilee, you're actually on a boat on the same body of water. You see Capernaum and all the places that Jesus headquartered his ministry out of. And then we go down the Jordan River all the way to Masada and the Dead Sea. But the culmination is when the bus goes up the paved roads now. That 3,000, 300 foot ascent and you come over the crest of the hill and you see Jerusalem. It's like, wow. 
this is the most important city, the most influential city in the history of the world. This is the view that Jesus would have had. And so now as they're on the top, this beautiful view of Jerusalem coming into view, the whole multitude of the disciples, it says, began to rejoice and praise God and with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Notice that. And here's what the words of their song was. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now these specific people that are part of this crowd, it's just, the crowd is just swollen into a multitude of people. They're from Bethany and Bethphage. Okay, this is where Lazarus was from in Martha and Mary. They were siblings. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, and Jesus hung out at their house often. Lazarus was one that Jesus had raised from the dead. Remember that story? He'd been dead three days, and his sisters were like, why did you wait so long? And they were railing on Jesus, and he said, chill out. I'm going to work this out, and he raised him from the dead. Well, these people, these people in this crowd are now praising him. They understand he's the Messiah. He's the one who did this mighty miracle on our neighbor, Lazarus. And, it, and they begin singing this song that's quoting actually Psalm 118, verse 26, which was a prophecy, another one of those prophecies, that this would be the song that was sung when the Messiah comes to town. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so they're praising him, acknowledging him as the long-awaited Messiah. But we're going to see, we're going to see their understanding of what the Messiah is all about in his first coming was very skewed by their very strong political desires. This very crowd here that's praising him and giving him all this adulation creating the scene there on the side of the Mount of Olives, this very crowd is expecting the Messiah. They're expecting Jesus to right then and there relieve them of their political frustrations. I've got those, don't you? You know, everybody's got those, not just us. I've lived all over the place. I've lived in Serbia, in Austria, in Hungary for years and years. I've lived in little villages, in every little hamlet and village and town and city around the world. Everybody's talking politics and everybody's frustrated. Okay? I understand political frustrations. And when I was reading this and I realized these people, their ideas about what Jesus is about to do are so tainted by their political desires. They're not listening to the full counsel of God. You know, I wonder how many of my desires have my expectations set wrong. And that's dangerous. Because if your expectation is not set by God's word, you're set up for frustration. You're set up for disillusionment, for disappointment. God doesn't want you to be set up for disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement, depression. Do I hear what I want to hear and disregard the rest? I'm not above this. I have to ask the Lord to set me right 
to lay aside, to, to, to dial into what his, his scripture says. They were expecting him. Part of their, 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 their chanting here and their, their adulation of him is they're expecting him right now to throw off the Roman oppression. Rome had marched in and annexed Israel and were oppressing, occupying Israel, taxing the people, heavily taxing them. Their expectation here is not based in the full counsel of God, but more by their political desires. Jesus is doing something so much bigger, so much more lasting, that involves so many more people than just relieving these first century Jewish people here from Bethany and Bethphage of their political frustrations. Jesus is doing something so much bigger, so much more lasting, that involves so many more people. He's coming into Jerusalem right now, not to slaughter Romans, but to lay his life down, to take away the sin of the world, which includes the sin of the Romans, and it includes your sin and mine. Aren't you glad that Jesus stuck to the plan? Aren't you glad he stuck to the plan? He's fulfilling the whole will of God. And because he did, you and I right now are forgiven by God. We're in the favor of God because he went to the cross. Okay? Notice as the crowd and the disciples are all crying out here. This song of praise that some of the Pharisees, okay, there's all this noise going on, and the Pharisees start screaming over the noise of the crowd, and they called out to Jesus saying, teacher or rabbi, rebuke your disciples, rebuke these people that are making this big deal about you. You see, the Pharisees were in denial, but even worse than that, they were filled with envy. Okay, we're told in Mark 15, 10, if you have notes, if you're taking notes, write that down, look it up. It says that they were eaten up with envy, that they actually handed him over to be crucified out of envy. They can't stand it that he's getting all this attention. They were the ones that get the attention. We are the religious establishment here in Jerusalem. We have the positions of authority and they live their lives to maintain and to put a trip on people to keep themselves in that place. It's sick. It's a sad way to do life. It's really a sick way to do life. To always be trying to control things and people around you to maintain what? Your position? Your place? To use slander? To lie about people? To destroy them because you feel threatened? It's really a lack of faith in God. It's a lack of faith that God has a plan for my life. And he has a plan for every one of our lives. God has a plan. He has a place for you. He has a lot in life for you. And he wants you to rest in him. It's a lack of faith that God's able to fulfill. You're either scrapping and clawing and destroying people and mowing over people to get what you need to get and hold on to it, or you're trusting God. What a joy it is. What an absolute joy it is when we trust in God 
and we rest in what he has for us. You know, trusting in the Lord, resting in him and what he has for me. I trust you, Lord. I have, then I have no need to tear anybody else down. What a joy it is to be so at rest in the love of God. And this is what we are, this is the f- fundamental thing that we are as believers. I'm trusting you, Lord. In all of the great heroes of the faith, he took them through long seasons of humble beginnings and learning to be servants. Okay, I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I'm happy right now. I'm happy, Lord, because you know you're good, you know what you're doing, and you're always on time. Those are, th- those are three things that we see over and over in the Bible. God is good, he knows what he's doing, and he's always on time. I trust you, Lord. I don't need to drive the dagger into Saul's back, David said, for the 20 years that Saul chased him and threw javelins at him. David's like, no, I'm not taking this into my own hands. I'm trusting you, God. I'm trusting you. And David was on the run for 20 years. God was building his character because God was going to put the shepherd boy in the place of the king. But he was preparing him. You see, David was trusting God. What a joy it is to be able to be so at rest in God's love. And this is where he's bringing all of us. That I can genuinely rejoice when other people around me are being blessed and getting promoted. And God will test us. We'll, where, where are you at? This is what God's doing. Maybe you failed the test. Maybe you failed it 10 times. You know what? He's going to give it to you an 11th time and a 12th time and a 13th. Pass it this time. What, what a joy it is to be so at rest in God's love and his goodness, faith in him, that I can rejoice when you get blessed or promoted into the place I was waiting for. We're losing this in the United States, guys. When Jennifer and I were in Hungary, we bought a house six years before we moved home. We bought it off of a guy that was very, very wealthy. He had been the junior chess champion of Hungary, and then he started playing the stock market. This genius guy, he made millions, and then he built 1,500 apartments in Budapest, and he had hundreds of millions of dollars. So we got a really good deal on our house because the guy didn't need money. But I remember this man, Attila Hunyadi, Hunyadi Attila, Attila the Hun, (laughs) sold us a house. But we were sitting at dinner one night, and he was telling us how lonely and isolated he and his wife felt since they had attained all this wealth and hungry. He said, our culture, nobody rejoices with people that get ahead. They all want to tear you down. We don't have, all of our friends left us. And this was almost 30 years ago. This was 25 years ago. And I remember telling him, it's not like that in America. In America, like if your your neighbors are all happy for you because they all, and you know what? I don't feel that anymore. I feel like in our culture, if if you start succeeding, you got to keep it quiet because people do want, nobody, what's happening to us? I think it's part of our departure from the Lord from trusting the Lord, you know? But these Pharisees are eaten up with envy. Jesus, tell them to stop. Stop praising you. We're the ones who are the center of attention, not you. What are you doing? They're being eaten up here with envy. 
And Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you the truth, if these disciples, if this crowd stops praising me right now, the stones, the stones on the ground right here will begin to cry out. And what song do you suppose the stones would start singing here? I was sitting there thinking it would probably be, I can't get no sad. No, there's, there's a different stones here. These are, we're talking stones. We're talking stones here. You know, on our tours to Jerusalem, every time we go up to the Mount of Olives, we walk down that same path. That same path is there. It's paved now, sadly. There's all sorts of other structures and cars and people honking and... There's a huge Jewish cemetery, which is pretty amazing, because the Jewish people know that when Messiah comes, he's going to walk through the Eastern Gate, okay? And they know that when he walks through the Eastern Gate, he's going to be raising the dead, according to the scripture. And so there's this huge Jewish cemetery all around the Eastern Gate, because they want to be first to be raised, okay? But every time we descend the Mount of Olives in that exact same general area there that's depicted. And that, the, the, the wall is there, the city's there, the southern steps. It's all from the time of Jesus. I always reach down. I, I look for a rock. I look for a stone. You know, I've, I've got these little pebbles. And Bob's, Bob came to me this morning. He goes, dude, you need, I, this is my, I found this one. This is a stone from the side of the Mount of Olives right off the edge of that path. Okay, this is, it was you, dude. If, those, if Jesus told his disciples to be quiet, you would have sung that day. This, this guy right here. If you want to come up afterwards and kiss the stone, you can do that. But then I got to give it back to Bob. So what is this dramatic entrance here on this donkey with all this adulation and clothes and palm branches? What is this? It's interesting, in the ancient world, when a king was returning victorious from a battle, he would come back into his city, escorted by, his, by some of the citizens and by his own army, and the, the, the people would be singing songs to the victorious, conquering king, and he would come in with all these symbols of his victory and authority. And he would come in on a war horse, a mighty stallion, a war horse with all the pomp and everything. And he would finally come into the prominent temple of his town back in this ancient world. And he would offer sacrifice to the gods. And then he would identify himself with the gods, thanking the gods for his victory in battle. Well, Jesus, as prophesied, he comes in on a donkey and he takes these well-known forms of the ancient world and he turns them on their head. He comes in purposely, not on a war horse, but on a donkey, because he's on a mission of peace. He comes humble. He comes humble. And he's not going to come into the city of Jerusalem and offer some sacrifice to an idol. No, he's going to come and he's going to offer himself up for the sin of the world. He's going to offer himself for the sin of the world. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, I wish I had it up on the screen here, you can write that down. 2 Corinthians 5.19, it tells us that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. 
So Jesus is going to come. He's coming humble, a mission of peace, not to make war, not to slaughter Romans, but to lay his life down that we might have peace with God, that the Romans might have peace with God, that the Jews might have peace with God, that the Jordanians might have peace with God, that the Syrians and the Egyptians and the Europeans and the Americans and the Pakistanis and the, and the, the British and the Americans, and the Canadians, and the Mexicans, that we might find peace with God. That's what he's coming into town this day, this week, to bring about. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. The blood of God is going to be shed a few days hence for the sin of the world. Now, I love you guys. I got some amazing friends. I look around the room here. If Scotty, if the blood of Scotty was shed for our sins, we'd all be still in trouble. Love you, Scotty. If the blood of any one of us, Pastor Ed even, as great a man as he is, his blood would do nothing to take away our sin. But God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself when when God shed his blood for our sins, our sins are gone. You talk about effectual. The blood of Christ is effectual to take away our sins. Not only for the Jews, not only for the Romans, but for me and you. Until now, until this moment that we're looking at here on the side of the Mount of Olives, until now, Jesus did everything he could do to discourage people from publicly celebrating him. Did you notice that? Every time he would do a miracle, he'd tell the people, don't, don't tell anybody. Why? Because he knew that the adulation of him would trigger the religious establishment in their envy and their, and their desire to hand him over to be crucified. And it wasn't ever the timing yet. But now the timing has come. And so when they said, rebuke your disciples, tell them to stop the praise, he says, no. Now is the time. I'm coming to town, and this time, I'm going to the cross. And this will trigger the religious guys, their hypocrisy. This will trigger them, and they will hand him over to the Romans to be crucified. They will push for it because they were envious. Next time, we're going to get into the next verses, okay? Because from here on, there's, it's one story, the greatest and holiest drama in human history that unfolds. That's enough for today. But next time, we're going to get into verse 41, where he drew near to the city. As he's looking at that view that we've seen, Jesus began to fall apart, it says he wept. The, in the Greek, it speaks of just this intense sobbing. He was sobbing as he looked down over the city. In a few days from here, he's going to go to the cross where he became your sin and mine. He's going to take your sin down into the grave and leave it there, paying the price that we couldn't afford, the price that sin deserves. And listen, rising from the dead, I love somebody had... Somebody said when he rose from the dead, it was like he presented the receipt. He paid the price, and he's alive from the dead. He's like, here's the receipt. It's paid in full. Some of you have paid off your mortgages, and you have a document somewhere in your files. 
that says it's paid in full. You called the bank that day saying, don't send any more money. It's done. It's paid in full. When Jesus rose from the dead, he held the receipt up saying, it's done. It's finished. The sins that you beat yourself over the head with, believer in Christ, they're, they're, they're non-existent. Jesus is saying to you, stop it. Put the club down. You're forgiven. I've done it all. Can you hear the gospel? Jesus paid it all. You can know, the, you can walk in the forgiveness that he's provided. You can find new life in him. Will you receive him is the question. If anyone comes to me, Jesus said, there's no possibility I would turn him away. It says in Romans 11, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's nothing to do but believe, receive. It's done. And we're gonna pick up next time in verse 41. The worship team, you guys can come on out. But in verse 41, we're gonna see when Jesus was looking down over the city, what broke his heart as we continue this most holy drama that has ever unfolded, this greatest drama in the history of the world. And here we are approaching Palm Sunday. It's coming up, Good Friday. And then we're gonna celebrate Easter here too. But Lord, let's, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Maybe you could stand up and we'll close with one final song together. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. We're going to worship you, Lord, so that the stones don't need to cry out, Lord. You've made us to worship. And so let's worship the Lord together in one final song, and then we'll be on our way. God bless. This is a good day. Is Jesus your mercy. This is, this is a good day, cause Jesus your mercy, it is new for me, it's new for me, be praised, let our worship together this is oh this is a good day because jesus your mercy it is new for me it's new for me it is it is a good day and maybe today is your day I don't know, maybe there's somebody here listening over the internet and the Lord's saying, today's your day. Come to me. I want to just forgive you. I want to take hold of your life and lead you in my plan for your life. Maybe that's you. If it is, don't leave without getting prayed for. We want to pray with you, give you a Bible, take nothing from you. See these guys over here?
to my right, your left. They love to pray with people. There's, that's their ministry, their passion. If you need prayer for anything else, just get prayed for. Pray to receive the Lord today. I'm going to be on the edge of the stage. If you want to touch or kiss the stone, you can come and do that. The rest of you guys, God bless you. We'll see you next week. Say hi to someone on your way out.